Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. This is episode 52. I'm super pumped. Uh, we have Chris Tatella here as a guest. Uh, he owns his own strength and conditioning gym um, in Clark, Clark, New Jersey. Um, he's got an awesome program. If you know anything about Elite FTS, he posts articles on there. You should definitely follow him on Instagram. Chris, what's your Instagram? It's Chris underscore Tutella, T-U-T-E-L-A. Yeah, and he's got great stuff that he posts, like training ideas, and what kind of really struck me and motivated me to DM you and reach out and see if you'd want to do the podcast, you wrote this article um, on Elite FTS about like life traps, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll kind of, I think this will lead into like what you just asked me, so yeah. maybe tell the audience, what, what was your article about life traps, like what, what, what motivated you to write that article? So yeah, so basically the, the article is about these traps that kind of, that life has set up for us, right? Like there may be a career that talks about, um, uh, a good salary benefits and all that. And we kind of get tied up in that. We end up spending so much energy trying to, um, f- go through this career that mm-hmm. we may not be happy with. And people get, right. you know, there's a lot of depression that goes on. There's a lot of anxiety and stress that could be avoided if you're aware of those traps. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so funny. Like, you know, in the pole vault community, a lot of people are coaching, you know, high school athletes. They're trying to pick colleges. And I even like, I think it happens early on, you know, these mm-hmm. kids are sometimes junior, senior in high school and they're freaking out over what college they're going to pick because they almost have like what I call the handbag mentality. It's like, you know, everybody wants to have a coach or Louis Vuitton bag. It's like, well, you want to make sure that your college matches your bag, you know? And it's like, and you're so worried about that. And at the end of the day, are you going to be happy at that college? Are you going to be happy with that major that you choose? Because I think sometimes people pick a major. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to major in business or I'm going to major in finance or I'm going to major in medicine because it sounds good. People are proud of me when I say that. But it's like, are you happy? Are you going to be proud with the life that that's going to give you? Mm -hmm. If so, awesome. I always think that. If you're happy, great. Right. But, you know, people got to really think about it. I mean, could you maybe go, go a little bit more personal? Like what... Did you feel like you had traps? Like what led you to come to strength and conditioning? Oh yeah. So, so, you know, I was, I've been involved in strength conditioning since I'm 18 years old, but, um, there was a point where I decided to become a fireman Mm -hmm. and I was working for a fire department, which, you know, the, the guys there were great. Um, and I was very thankful and happy to have the job. Um, it was, it's a great career and, but just, it wasn't where my heart was. Right. And then it, it started to become very toxic over the four years that mm-hmm. I was there. And I just wasn't happy there anymore. I didn't want to be there anymore. But right. the, the trap is, you know, oh man, there's, there's a pension. There's a great salary. It's a great schedule, right? Yeah. You're doing shift work. So it's like, it's, it was very difficult to leave even though I was so unhappy. Right. Right. So I had to make that choice. It took me probably a full year to make, to really say, to make this decision say, you know what? I'm out of here and I'm going to go all in into my training business. It's, it's so funny. And you asked me before, like how I got into coaching and very similar story. You know, I I started out as an English teacher, you Mm -hmm. know, and (laughs) it was so funny because very early on, I was like, something's wrong. Like, I can't, I can't do this. You know, it's not, it's not the right fit for me. And I love teaching. I mean, I still teach today. I mean, you, you're a teacher, right? We just mm-hmm. teach sure. lifting weights or, you know, pole vaulting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I wanted something different, something more. And I remember actually one of my supervisors, she told me, she goes, listen, Bronco, you watch too many movies about like teachers that change people's lives. Sometimes it's like you go in and you just do your job. Oh, God. And I'm like... That's exactly, listen, 
in that case, I should be making lots of money because mm-hmm. if I'm not going to at least change someone's life, then I got to be making money. I'm right. like, this is crazy. And I always felt like I, no matter how hard I worked for the kids, no matter how much I wanted to do, it was like, I was kind of getting pushback from the school. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, why are you trying so hard? You know? Right. And while I was teaching, I, I was like, I kind of made the decision. I'm going to leave teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, got my full-time cert, you know, to become a teacher. Cause in New Jersey, you get like a temporary license to teach okay. and you need to teach a full year before it becomes a permanent license. So I decided I would get my permanent license. And then I was going to walk away. I was going to start actually working at VH1. I don't know if you remember uh, that VH1, channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The MTV yeah. brand, you know? <laughs> um, and then someone asked me to coach track. And in the back of my head, I had this thought. I was like, I really shouldn't coach track cause I'm going to love it. Mm-hmm. And then I might not like go to VH1, right? And so I coach track anyway because I'm like, listen, I'll be in between jobs for a little bit. Like, should have a little bit mm-hmm. extra money. And I did. I loved it. And I actually left VH1, went back into teaching. Um, and what really was the kicker, and I was like, I have to figure out a way to make this full time, is I had a, uh, my English supervisor who, one, when I first left, she was begging me not to leave when I was like, Hey, I'm ready to commit. You know, I want to be here full time. I want to teach English. I want to coach track and field. Like I want to do this. She goes, you know, I don't think English is number one for you. So I'm not going to rehire you back. (laughs) And I was like, what? And so to me, that kind of put that idea in my head. I'm like, you know what? I want to control my own destiny. You know, I want to have control. And that, that's what, for me, talk about like life traps. Like for me, this is super appealing. I know you don't have the pension. People thought I was crazy. They're mm-hmm. like, he's leaving a teacher's pension. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, me, he's leaving, you know, a tenure, right? Because mm-hmm. once you have tenure, that's it, right? Like right. you'll never get fired. But it's like, to me, it was like, I, you know, that wasn't that important. I knew one, I'm not scared. You know, I work hard, mm-hmm. you know, I have value, I have talent and I love helping people. So I wasn't worried about becoming a bad teacher and I needed tenure to save me. Right. And, um, you know, I wanted to do something on my own. That's that's what pushed me. And so, like, that's why when I read read your article, it, it really hit me. Oh, you know? thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad that it did. And, you know, <clears throat> the one thing that, that you mentioned, like, in my own business, mm-hmm. whether I succeed or if I fail, it's my fault. Right. It's up to me. It ain't. It, it doesn't matter what what's what's going on with um, with layoffs or you know you know it happens. Right, Shit happens. Right. 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 Uh, can I swear on here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You okay, can. You cool. can swear. I, no, I, don't I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. Over here. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I like to have control over my own future, my own mm-hmm. destiny. If I succeed, if I fail, it's my fucking fault. Right. Right. I I, I agree, and you know, with the club. I make the decisions. If I think something's not working, mm-hmm. we change it. If something is working, we do more of it, you know? And if we're helping our clients and we're helping them out and they're getting a, a good experience, that's awesome. We, right. we feel it because then we get more clients. Right. They, they're jumping higher. They love it here it's, more. It's very this, rewarding. Yeah, right. you know? Whereas, like, sometimes it's like, I feel like you could be in a position, like you said, one, you know, whatever, the economy goes down, uh, a business or company has to lay people off. Right. It happens, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but then the other thing is sometimes like you might be working hard and someone else sees you as a threat in a company, they want to get rid of you. Right. You know what I mean? And sabotage yeah, you, yeah. you know? Oddly enough, right? Yeah, it's so crazy. So to me, you know, I know like and especially in the pole vault community for people who are listening, you know, I know sometimes you might think that the only way you can coach is through a school or the only way you can coach is and in pole vault, Chris, you'll think this is probably crazy. Mm-hmm. There are so many Division One pole vault coaches that are volunteers. They yeah. don't even get paid for their time, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like 
the thing is, people want to pole vault. Like, I can't tell you guys. Like, I, I only have 1,700 followers on, on Instagram. It's nothing crazy. But I get DMs all the time. I get emails all the time from people who need help with their jumps from all over the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, Apex right now is only New Jersey, guys. So it's like there's opportunities. People can open up gyms everywhere, and there's going to be clients. Um, I I guess now kind of like maybe switching gears, Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you too about like kind of the business end of it because in the public community – there's not a lot of info out there about how to run a successful business, you know, as a right. gym owner. And, you know, we started out talking a little bit about marketing, you know, before the podcast. Like, what, what do you think was critical? And, and kind of tell your story about first opening the gym and what allowed you to keep it running in the beginning right. part. Well, when I first opened the gym, I, you know, so I opened my business. I opened the doors to my first physical location in June of 2012. I got hired by the fire department, coincidentally, um, August of 2012, so just okay. a few months after. Okay, I didn't realize how much of a blessing that was at the time because right. that is literally what kept me going the first three years of being in business. Right. Because without me going into my own pocket and paying for rent and paying for all the business yes. expenses, mm-hmm. I would have been completely out of business. So after a few years, and I then I started to, like I told you before, I started to say, you know what, I got to get out of here and I have to start uh, going all into my business. So what do right. I need to do? So the first critical step for me was getting a coach. Okay. So hiring a business coach, uh, business coach, Pedro's Coolian. He's oh, my, wow. my friend, mentor, and awesome business coach. And, um, you know, he started to just clean up what I had going on in the business. Like okay. I really, my marketing was walking to like Dunkin' Donuts and leaving my brochures, uh, you know, on, on the garbage can. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cal- Calvin's here listening guys. Uh, he's like laughing in the background because he's had similar experiences. Yeah, did the same thing. But it's what you have to do in the beginning, right? right, like, right, right you don't right. really, you don't have as much money. You don't really have. So, and that's all you really know. Right. So I started by just doing that. So, then I realized that that was maybe getting me one person for every you know, thousand or more flyers that I left, right? right? I, th- I think I heard a number that with like brochures, like even if you do mailers, like yeah, if you it's get like less like, than 1% or yeah, something like that. Yeah, if you get like, like yeah. a, th- if you get like a two, three percent return, like right. awesome, you know? Right. And so, um, I guess the, the biggest shift was, you know, the online marketing that we mm-hmm. started to do, which is, you know, running Facebook ads and, uh, offering trial programs. So, right. you know, just like a, a low rate four weeks for 97 bucks or something like that, come right, in, right. try out our program. And the thing was we had this great service, right? We right. had this, this, this product that people loved. And I knew that once more people saw what we, what we offered right. and see that we're the real deal, and not full of shit. Like a lot of fitness places are, unfortunately, yes, yes. right? These no, days, I you understand. know, as well as I do. Yeah. So, you know, um, getting people in the door with, Using Facebook ads and uh, trial programs, yeah. that was the the biggest thing that that changed my. Business. So you don't think it's a good idea to like, um, you know, kidnap some high school coaches and force them to come in? That's not a good strategy. I would, I would <laughs> say it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> no, but I mean, you bring up some great ideas, and I and I think look in the pole vault community since it, it's so connected still like you know kids start out pole vaulting at their high school with mm-hmm. their high school coaches and look there's there's a lot of places that have great high school coaches I know in New Jersey Jason Church he coaches Southern Regional High School he actually coached a girl to Olympic trials in 2000 he's wow. awesome mm-hmm. uh, but even Jason at one point he, he was talking he's like Bronco I get why your club exists because not every school has me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and, it, and it's true so one I you know we have to kind of 
get people to understand, and I think it's critical through Facebook, Instagram. Um, I think even now, I'm starting to think more and more. It's like I got to get more involved in LinkedIn, post mm-hmm. content on LinkedIn, because I, I feel like maybe more educators are on LinkedIn. Yeah. But it's like that they can be introduced to your service because you're right. It is a great service, right? Like I know a lot of these pole vault club gyms, you know, you're getting way more expert attention than you would at your high school. You have also way more access to equipment. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you, you've seen it in your years in strength and conditioning. Even some weight rooms at schools just still aren't sufficiently equipped, you mm-hmm. know, that kids can kind of do all the things that they need to do. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, could, could you maybe expand on that even like – even from your perspective as a strength and conditioning gym owner, like what do you offer that maybe separates you from just the kid at, at the high school that maybe isn't as well equipped? Like what what are maybe some differences, you know? Yeah, so um, well the obviously, you know, I've been doing this a long time, yeah. right? So the first thing is making sure that my staff is up to par. We right. don't just hire anybody, right? right? So making sure that the guys that are running the training sessions, they know what the hell they're doing. And, right. You know, we, we, we travel a lot. We take sem- uh, attend seminars, events, conferences, mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? And then it goes down to actual programming, actual coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Like that stuff is very important. Right, 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 right. right. From a business perspective, um, it comes down to people feeling like they're at home. So when they walk into mm-hmm. your gym... It should be their home away from home. It right. shouldn't just be like, oh, I'm here to work out and leave. Right. This is a place where people, it should be the best part of anyone's day. Right. So that's like having that culture, that community, that's one of our biggest differences on top of coaching, on top of programming. You know, if you don't have, you don't need the fanciest equipment in the world, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to have all this high end stuff. I certainly did not in the beginning. You know? Right, right, right. So just having what you need to run and actually train people the way you want to train people, that's so, one of the most important You know what, things. and you kind of like even fixed what I said and uh, you made it even better. Because I, I think, uh, again, uh, an important word for track people is like context. You know, it's like we right away jump to let's see what's happening at the Olympics and we're not looking what is needed, like right. you said. You know, and I, I think there's a couple things. One, you said, you know, the staff and the programming. The thing that I think is so huge, and, and I pride myself at Apex, and look, for any coaches out there that do have a club and, and maybe you have some people that help out, it has to be consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you personally are coaching the session or one of your staff members is coaching, that athlete that walks in should be getting the same experience. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's yep. like you can't walk in and all of a sudden it's like, let's say in strength and conditioning terms, like, okay – you're normally doing conjugate stuff and then the kid walks in and now they're doing Olympic lifts and linear. You know, right. it's like that's, that just wouldn't fly. Mm-hmm. So same thing in pole vaulting. I mean, if, look, you're coaching like we do at Apex and use the 640 model and you tell kids to pull off the ground, you can't all of a sudden have a coach who's teaching kids to block. It's just not going to work. Right. Those are two different worlds. And, and and to, so I'm sorry, ahead. I didn't mean no, to no, no, go ahead. To, to expand on that, though, from a business standpoint, yeah. though, that's where uh, developing systems mm-hmm. is so valuable. And that's yeah. something I definitely did not do early on. I didn't mm-hmm. even know what the hell we were, you know, like right. I, I was cleaning the toilets, I was vacuuming, I was doing everything yes. myself yeah. um, from the training sessions to programming and everything in between. Right. Now, I had learned that we had, I had to create systems. So put it, documenting this stuff. This is what gets done on Monday. This is how we run training sessions, right. et cetera. You know, that creating those systems is what's going to make it from you just coaching to actually running a successful business. No, it, it's, it's so interesting because, again, track world is like, 
I even though track has been around for so long, I feel like on this realm, like the private sector and actually running it like a business and providing mm-hmm. great value to people, it's so in the infant stage. Right. Um, for my for my coaches the other day, I did a little coaches clinic and we kind of went over even just the systems of practice and how to make decisions, how to make calls, how to use certain drill progressions, and you know go through that. So many coaches, it's like they kind of do it without understanding how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure like in the beginning, like you said, sure, like you talked about like cleaning the facility and stuff like that. But even like the programming, it was like you just knew it in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's this commercial I remember, it's like a lady pulls up to a gas station and she walks up to the gas attendant and is like, hey, do you have any maps? And the guy's like, it's all in my head. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's right. not good for me. It's not in my right, head. Right. right, So it's like I realized too as a coach, it's great that I have knowledge, but I have to be able to convey that knowledge to my coaching staff and now to my social media audience right. because I can't help anyone if I'm the only one that knows this stuff. Right. It's kind of like um, Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell. He has that one line. He's like, listen, when I die, Westside dies. <laughs> but it's like I don't want like pole yeah. vaulting to die once I die. You know what I mean? Right. It's like I want people to keep going and build this and, and make it better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so I, I, I don't know. It's just, to me, that that's super important. Like you said, systems are, are critical. If you don't have those systems in place in your gym, you're going to end up running it all by yourself. And yep. it's never going to grow. And, and it's you're never going to actually get consistent members, clients, athletes coming in because there's no consistency in your gym, right? You right. can't just have people walking in and doing whatever they want that day as far as your coaches go. It right. has to be consistent. Right. And that consistency too, and, and one of the big things that I feel, and we, we talked about it in my coaches clinic, where I go, progress is super important. If people feel like they are making consistent progress, they're going to want to keep coming in. If they're not making any progress, and like you said, it's all over, the training's all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, they get disheartened. Right. They don't want to keep coming in. They're like, all right, like I've plateaued. I'm not getting any better. I have to leave. Right. You know, so that that's so huge. Um, you also hit upon the point of like culture. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's super important. I, I'm actually so humbled and I'm so grateful that when I see all the friendships that have been developed at yeah. my club, I mean, there there are people that don't even jump with me anymore. They haven't jumped in years, and they're still close friends. Right. You know, people go to each other's weddings. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for the first couple to get married. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. So, well, it's gonna happen. You know, and it's like that's the beautiful thing is like how many people are forming really really tight knit bonds with people they've met right. at the club because everyone's just so close. You know, mm-hmm. and they. Like you said, it becomes a family, right? And that's it's so important for for uh, any business owners to know. Like it, that starts at the top, right? Right. Because if I'm an asshole, people, right. You know that that's going to rub off on right. my coaches. That's going to and that's going to rub off on the members. And that culture will never develop. You have to be. But you know, do you have one coach that you yell at? Like it's okay to yell at one guy, right? Uh, well, I, I guess you refer to this guy. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to refer to Calvin. I'm just messing around. I'm just messing around. There's always going to be that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, like even you know my relationship with my staff, we're very close. You right. know, we have a very tight bond. We do stuff together. Because I, I intentionally set time aside to say, like, all right, guys, we're going to dinner or we're going to go right. travel to this event or whatever. You know, um, we went to Orlando in September to get a certification together. So that stuff is going to build a tighter bond with my staff. And then my staff 
and myself, of course, with our members when they come in, like you should know your client's wife's first name or his kid's name or you know if if, right. if their dog passed away, you should reach out and say, hey man, I'm I'm sorry about to hear about your dog. Like, there should be a very tight bond between you and the people that you're working with. Abs- absolutely. Like I I think sometimes that's the thing that I try to press upon my coaches too all the time. It's like, yeah, we're close. We're close with the clients because like they have to know that you care. Yeah. I, I or else they're not going to work hard for you either, you know, oh, and, and, and that's going to hurt your business. You know, it is, all this stuff goes together. hundred percent. The example I always give a lot of my coaches is like, look, think about a doctor. Sure. Like everybody loves the show house. Right. And for those of you that don't know, house was a huge dick on the show. Like he could always, he could save your life, but he was not going to be nice to yeah. you. Right. And, but what the thing is in reality though, if you make a mistake and you're a dick, Oh my God, that doctor is going to lose his job. You know what I mean? Whereas like you could, as a coach, even sometimes make a mistake. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, you know what? The programming, the training hasn't been going well. Mm -hmm. I think we should have been doing this instead. When your clients know that you care, that you show humility, you know, and that you're making adjustments, you're trying to make them happy and Mm -hmm. keep them happy. They, man, that's huge. That yeah. goes a long, long way. Right. But if, like you said, if you're a jerk, oh my god, like there's no way you're gonna build a culture. You right. know, no then way. the only way that person's coming in, and and I see a little bit of this in pole vault uh, culture. And I had Chris Allison from Texas on. He runs a club down there, very successful. And he said it's like you know, there's so many kids that it's almost like they're just going for a scholarship. And mm-hmm. once they get that scholarship, that's it. For my athletes, I mean, I, I have kids that sometimes they graduate college, they maybe were out of state for a few years, they, they moved back to New Jersey, they hit me up, they want to start jumping again because they love the atmosphere, they just love being a they part of this. They just want to be here, right. Exactly, mm-hmm. and that's, that's huge. To me, that's more important. So it's like, yeah, you can maybe get away with being a jerk to that kid who just wants a scholarship, but you're not – like people who want a good experience or, or searching for that culture, they're, they're never coming back in, right. in a situation like that, mm-hmm. you know? right. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's why that stuff is is so important because you could be there's there's plenty of guys who are super intelligent and they're great coaches. Yeah. But they open a business and it fails. Right. Because they don't ever create that relationship. They're like nobody really at the end of the day nobody really cares how smart you are. Right. They want to feel good, especially like you know, in, in my business we work with a lot of the general population, right? right. So you know, they they see coaching and all that stuff. They almost see that secondary yes. to the, the the experience that they have, right? You know, yeah. So you gotta you have to create that that environment and make sure people feel at home and feel comfortable in, in any business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think you know, again, thinking about pole vault culture, there's definitely that group that I feel like sometimes get caught up. They want to make sure the the athlete knows that they know pole vaulting. Yeah. So they start to get so super, super sciencey, um, and then they lose the athlete. You right. know what I mean? The athlete's like, all right, I don't get what you're talking about. Like, what, right. do, you, what do you want me to do? Right. You know? Nobody really gives a shit. They just right. say, the athletes want to know, how do I get better? Right, right. <laughs> they don't care how smart you are. And the same goes for training, right? Right. You could, you could say, you could tell talk about science to try to impress people but at the end of the day if you don't have that bond you're not going to get them the results that they want yeah anyway because they're not going to like we said earlier they're not going to work as hard or they're just going to be confused they're like ah, i don't really feel like going so they're inconsistent and then they never make the progress they want so nobody yes 
educate people, but do it in a way where it's just you're not just trying to prove how smart well, you are. Well, it, it's right? got to be palatable. Right. I mean, think about like cooking. Like, sure, like you know, asparagus is good for you. Brussels sprouts is good for you. Right. But if you don't cook it in a certain way, it really tastes like shit, and right. you're not going right. to want to eat it. Yep. You know, what I mean, like you got to make it palatable. Right. And and it was funny. Like, great example. Um, uh, Calvin's senior year at Ramapo College was. Uh, we had a coaching change. So I ended up coaching uh, almost all the events under distance, right? And I did the weight program for the whole team. And Calvin was so funny. Like, there was this one girl who actually was very successful with me, Mariah Blanton. And, um, you know, Mariah initially, oh, my God, first day in the weight room because she had never lifted. Think about it, three years in college, never really lifted. Mm -hmm. And we go, and I'm just teaching her basic squat movement, you know. She was using a barbell but no weight, you know. She literally started crying. She's like, I don't know if I can handle this. And she was, like, ready to quit, you know? Right. And, you know, in the beginning, it was, like, hard. You had to really, like, pull teeth with her. And I had to be really nice, you know? And Calvin, like, walked up to me. It was, like, maybe a month of this. And he's like, she's she's not all in. You should just forget about her. Like, just throw <laughs> her to the side. I'm like, Calvin, you got to be patient. Like, he was already, like... You, Calvin. <laughs> he was, like... Well, yeah, he was young. And he was, like, deep into the uh, rabbit hole. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, he was yeah. deep, like, he was already, like, thinking about... I mean, one... He he was like taking creatine. He was making sure it was the best protein powder he could get. Yeah. Then he was—he was even thinking this. He had an idea. He was like, "Listen, Bronco, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like get really, really strong, get jacked up. But then as we get close to championship season, I'm going to cut weight. So for about two weeks, I'll be able to hold that strength. But I'll be a little bit lighter and I'll jump higher. Like he was like, you know what I mean? He was getting Very like detailed. really, really detailed, yeah. right? I'm like, Calvin, you're on that level. Mariah just needs to learn how to squat. She's not there yet. She ended up being so committed. She was one of my most committed people. And she PR'd a lot, but it took time to get her there. And I think people are sometimes impatient. I think even personal training, I've talked to people who it's like they get upset with their clients because they, you know, didn't follow the diet exactly. It's like, well, you're taking someone that's never worked out before. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to take time. If you have that mindset, you're going to be very frustrated. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like Mm -hmm. you've got to love the like the early wins with people. No you doubt. Know, I, I feel like it's like, you know, if you if that person's, you know, box squatting with a kettlebell and they finally do it right, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it's not a 500-pound squat or something. Oh, it makes no it's difference. like that's success progress. for that person. It's progress. Yeah, it's a win. Yeah, you got to be happy with those wins. And it, it, But it's it's very, very interesting. Like in the beginning, instead of getting to that bond, some people want to jump to like the, the later layers right. of what's going on. Like, you know, and maybe this is a good point to start to talk a little bit more, maybe even strength and conditioning. I, you know, we were talking yesterday on the phone. A lot of people want to almost argue about deeper layered things. Like, let's talk Olympic lifts for a minute, right? right. Like, uh, get your thoughts on Olympic lifts. But a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, the Olympic athletes or the D1 Alabama football players doing power cleans. Like, oh, my athletes have to be doing power cleans. I mean, right. what, do you, what do you think uh, about people who are saying that and think about context, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the story that I told you yesterday. So I was, um, at one point, a head strength conditioning coach for a, f- a high school football program, right? Mm-hmm. And high school football program, if you've been in a high school weight room, you know it's pure chaos, right? right. It's pure chaos. Right. So the, my first day there, uh, I'm, I'm checking it out, and form is awful. People are going way too heavy. So when I first started, the first thing I did was just technical, you know, just going over technique and right. all that, and starting right. from the ground up, right? right. And kids start to make some, some real progress, right? Their technique was on point and all that. So then, um, as we got a little bit further down the road, uh, the head coach, you know, he wanted me to introduce Olympic lifting okay. to the guys, right? I'm like, I understand. Olympic lifts are tremendous exercises, no doubt. There's nothing wrong with Olympic lifting. Right. If 
big ifs here. <laughs> if you're doing them properly, right? Right. They are very, very technical movements. Right. They're incredible for developing power when they're done right, okay? And but at the end of the day, when you're working with a room full of 60, 80 kids, believe it or not, there's yeah, that many, right? Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. You, I, you, or, I know. Listen, let, let's be conservative here. 20 kids. Right. right? 10 kids. Yeah. When you're teaching an Olympic lift, you have to be very detailed and really teach them the proper mechanics of the movement. Right. So the point is... The head coach wanted me to use these Olympic lifts, but they, it wasn't the environment for Olympic lifts to be taught. They were right. never going to learn how to do them properly. There's just too many kids. It's too technical, and we don't have enough time. Right. right. I mean, time is a huge issue. Right. So so what my thing was, for, of course, for power development, we need to train for power development. Let's use jumps. Let's use throws. They're much more simple right. to teach, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're easier to learn. And... There is not much of a risk there, right? right. With Olympic lifts, you know, if, if your back's turned for one second in a weight room and the guy's going too heavy and his form's off, he could, you know, he could destroy his shoulder, well, he could destroy his back. You it's know, it's a, interesting that you said that. Yeah. One of my collegiate athletes, she's pretty talented, and she was at her school and she was doing snatch. Mm-hmm. I, she wrecked her shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. She's been out now for for a couple weeks, and it's right. like to me, it was like. I almost, I almost think of it in business terms, like cost-benefit analysis. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's the cost? What's the benefit? Like, if you right. tell me the benefit is going to be literally a world record, right. all right, maybe we can take a little risk there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like you said, it's like teaching those movements and especially, look, again, everybody, this context is so huge. If you are an Olympic pole vaulter listening to this or if you are, you know, someone going to USA's, maybe, yeah, you should be exploring the, the, the power cleans and you as an individual have time to go find a coach that can teach you how to do this. But when we're talking about teaching beginners, right. novice athletes, you know, like you said, there's nothing wrong with a box jump. Right. You know what I mean? And it's going to be a lot safer for your kid mm-hmm. than having to do the, the Olympic lifts. The context is so, so huge. Right. Reduce the risk of injury. Right. Yeah. Of course, there's always a risk. Like there's, there's people that say, well, there's always a risk of injury in training. Right. Of course there is. But let's minimize that risk. Right. right? Let, let's be smart here because if your athlete gets hurt, they're not going to perform. Right. right? You, could, right. you could destroy their career. Right. So we don't, my, my point is you don't have to use Olympic lifts to develop power. So like, yes, it, they're great, mm-hmm. right? For some people. Yeah. But do you really need to teach a 14 year old kid how to do a, a power clean? Right. Right. I think we, what we really need to do is get that kid strong, teach them how to move, teach them how to maintain right. a neutral spine because most don't, right? right. Most don't have the, the strength, the mobility to. And, and just, uh, cause Especially some of the audience that's listening. I mean, mm-hmm. again, to you, you maybe would be shocked at how little knowledge. When you say sure. neutral spine, explain that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just the spine's natural curvature. So uh, think of a straight line from your head to your tailbone, mm-hmm. right? Most people have difficulty maintaining that position. So let's use uh, a deadlift as an example. When you're in the bottom range of a deadlift, mm-hmm. right, from your head to your tailbone, there should be a straight line. But a lot of people have difficulty maintaining that position, so they start to round and take their spine out of the neutral, right. the, the neutral um, alignment, and now start to round the back, round the lower back, round right. the spine. So right. for people listening, imagine almost us. I know sometimes people do these stretches. You get down on your hands and knees, and you'll go into a round pop your back up and then go into a deep arch. 
So what he's saying is like keeping that spine neutral instead of rounding up. You right. Know? Like if you were to put a dowel rod on your back from your head to tail on the dowel rod, you may co- maintain contact. Right. Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's huge. That like, first of all, for those of you listening, that probably already sounded so complicated to you. And now by introducing a power clean or something like that, like, that's even more complicated. Right. There's so much more involved there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a it, there's a huge progression if you're going to teach those lifts. Right. There's a huge pro- progression, and that's something where a lot of coaches kind of skip over. Right. Right. Um, the other thing I was going to say, and like again, like you said, let's say you have a 14 year old athlete, and especially in the pole vault, a lot of times, like guys, let's let's have real talk. The best athletes in your high school, if you're a high school coach, are playing football, basketball, baseball. So now the best athletes are not even going to track most of the time. Then your head track coach, unless you are the head track coach, and you're very lucky, (laughs) but if your head track coach is not going to give you the best athletes on the track team. Mm -hmm. So now instead of the first level of best athletes, you're getting the second level at track, but now for pole vault, you're going to get the third level of athlete. Mm -hmm. So you can get like a 14-year-old boy that maybe weighs 115 pounds. I mean, that kid just has to put on some muscle. Right. You know, he's got to be able to perform the basic lifts. Doing a power clean, I mean, you might have to start out with a broomstick for that. Like, what, right. what is the point, right. you know? Right, Yeah, exactly. What, what are you going to get out of that? Now, if, if you have, if you're taking this kid and you know you have the next 10 years to work with him, Maybe right, yeah. and we can start. But but there's just there's there's safer ways. There's there's more efficient ways to train. And what do they really need? Right. They need to get stronger. They need more muscle mass. They need to um, make sure they're protecting their joints by developing the strength and the stability, right? right? And, 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 right. and certain joints. So there's a lot of stuff that should be prioritized that mm-hmm. kind of just gets skipped over most right. of the time. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's so funny because one of the great examples in the pole vault community that I think for strength and conditioning is Dean Starkey. He, okay. he was the first guy in like a 15, 20 year period to medal at a world or Olympic championship. We hit a drought in America and Dean placed third in 1997, right? This guy's arms got ripped back, mm. but he had basketballs for shoulders. Yeah. So even though like sometimes at takeoff, he got ripped. His shoulders were strong enough to handle that abuse. And I think what sometimes people forget in the pole vault, they're so worried that if they put on a little bit of muscle mass, that their power to weight ratio will go down, which is kind of not true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then that will have a negative impact on their vault. But it's it's quite the opposite. I mean, I always use Calvin as an example. When he came to Ramapo College, he weighed about 150 pounds. He ended up getting to 185 pounds. But his lifts dramatically improved. I think he did a 165-pound single-leg squat as a freshman. And then what was your best ever, Calvin? Uh, 315 for five. 315 for awesome, five. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the dramatic increase in, I mean, he got way stronger and only put on th- 35 pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's like his power-to-weight ratio was better. Right. And, and he jumped a lot higher. He was 14-footer as a freshman, yeah. jumped 15 as a He was a- able to apply more force. Right. right? So... Go, go into that a little bit, like the way you think about it, because I'd love them to hear from someone, one other than me, but uh, someone that's not a pole vault person. Like, you know, you're also in kind of the business of trying to make people faster. You know, you mm-hmm. worked as a strength and conditioning coach in football. You know, what do you think about speed development? How yeah. do you develop speed? So at the most basic level, right, <clears throat> and, it, and we're talking about the high school level, the sh- if you could develop more strength in an athlete, in an athlete most of the time, you're going to develop more speed because now they can right. apply more force to the ground. And it's as simple as that, yeah. right? So just getting stronger 
and proper movement patterns, mm -hmm. right? And of course, getting body fat in check and whatnot, right? But, right, right. But that is going always, most of the time, I should say, yeah. go, going to um, relate to greater speed. Sure. And and I think in track, sometimes people forget it. You know, it's like. <laughs> Sometimes uh, people fall in love with technique. Mm -hmm. You know, I always uh, relate it to kind of like wine snobs. People become like technique snobs. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's like, oh, I don't like this vintage. This isn't from the right, uh, right. you know, this isn't from Napa Valley. Right. You know, but um, the thing is everybody's hoping for a magic bullet of technique when, look, your speed comes from stride frequency times stride length. Uh-huh. You can increase that stride length by getting stronger. You, right. Like you said, you apply And gaining mobility force. as well. Yeah, right. Right. Um, but frequency, I feel like people don't realize, like, I mean, what are the numbers? Do you know off the top of your head? For central nervous system, how much can you increase your capacity? Because, you, I mean, you're literally not going to grow more neural receptors. You know, that's mm -hmm. impossible. You're kind of, you were born with your central nervous system. And even with the best training, I mean, how percentage-wise, how much can you improve your central nervous system? So what I'll say is that all that stuff, right, mm -hmm. is only going to get, is only going to take you so far. Right. right. So... We have to, if you're looking at a, a youth athlete, a younger right. athlete, right, just they're going to be able to recruit more muscle. They're going to be able to uh, recruit those fast twitch fibers. Right. If you get them stronger. So that's, right. that's the most important level, right? So. I, yeah. Well, I think that that's super key what you said there too. I think the mistake that, that a lot of people um, make is that they're trying to do fast stuff right. in the hopes that they're going to somehow affect the central nervous system, which right. is percentage points. It's right. like when we were talking about brochures before. You, it's not going to yeah. help that much. And if you're not strong enough, right, then, then your power... So you could take an athlete and do all this power stuff with them, mm -hmm. but if they're too weak, they're not going to develop more power. So you have to get them stronger first. Right. right? And the example, I, personal example I give... There was one point, which going back to kind of running a business, when I first went full time with Apex, and that was 2010. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, was so into the business. I kind of let myself go. Mm -hmm. I was 190 pounds. I was very overweight. Mm. I felt terrible. I would look in the mirror and be like, "Oh my God, I'm, this is never going to go away." Right. right. This huge belly. And there was one day I was like, you know, I'm going to do a sprint workout. Uh huh. Chris, I didn't feel sore the next day. I didn't feel like I even did a workout. Yeah. Because I literally was so out of shape and my power to weight ratio was so bad that mm -hmm. like I couldn't run fast enough to get a training effect. Right. You know, and I think that's the thing that people don't realize. Like in my case, I was just out of shape. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's like for like someone younger who doesn't have any muscle mass, yeah. it's like they're not going to move fast enough to get some kind of training effect. Right. You know what I mean? And more than likely too, if they don't have the strength, like you said, mm -hmm. in the proper movement patterns, mm -hmm. they're not even going to be able to run correctly because right. they're not strong enough. Right. You know, so I... Because you, you'll watch like a lot of stuff on Instagram and stuff and people are doing all this jump training and all this, mm -hmm. all this power development stuff. Right. But at the end of the day, they can't do a proper squat to full depth. Right. right. So it's it's like how much value what are we really gaining from that? Right. This kid is gonna gain much more out of getting stronger 
in that movement pattern, right? And developing that strength. And then once they get to a certain point, okay, now let's introduce the power stuff, right? Right, right. Like we were even talking um, earlier, my other Calvin, Calvin Gould was here. Mm-hmm. He was packing poles for me. And, you know, I was telling you with him, I mean, he got to a 315 bench. She did 335 single leg squat. We start, we started doing like speed days. You know, we would do like, you know, 50% of the, the one rep max, add some bands and do speed days. For him, that was important. That's like wh- wh- where we needed to go. Right. But it's like even that as an example, talking about developing power. I mean, if you have someone that's too weak, I mean, you wouldn't even be able to attach bands mm-hmm. to the bar. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's and and no what's point. the point? What's the point? Right. right. You know, um, I guess, I don't know, for, for me, I think we've covered the, the bases with the strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any questions or anything that, that is pressing to you that you'd like to add? You know, I am so new to the pole vault world mm-hmm. that just being here and looking around is, is, is pretty impressive. Like, maybe just give me, a, like, a little example of, of how to use some of this stuff. You know, like, we could probably do that after the podcast. Right, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, this is, this is all pretty cool and new to me, so I'm looking forward yeah, to yeah. maybe seeing a thing or two. Well, yeah, and that's why I wanted you on the podcast. Yeah. I, I love to try to get people from outside the pole vault world uh, yeah. to kind of comment because I think sometimes – in the pole vault community, we're kind of in our own echo chamber, and we don't ever hear anyone else's opinion. And we want to think that the pole vault is so different mm-hmm. that anything else doesn't apply to us. Okay. Like I had, um, I had a Division One strength and conditioning coach call me, and one think about this, Chris. This is wild. Mm-hmm. He goes, Bronco. Guess what's the the most recent article I could find about strength and conditioning as it pertains to pole vault? Why don't you take a guess what year? Oh, God. Um, I'm just going to throw out the 70s. No, no. Okay. It, was, it wasn't that bad. It was 80s. It was 1987. Okay. Oh, well, close enough. But that's that's still so long ago, you know? Yeah. And so, so few... There's no, like, intermingling, and we're not getting ideas right. from outside our little bubble. Um, and that strength coach was like, look, like, I really didn't do any deadlifts with my guys because they were afraid that if they put on mass on their legs, it would be hard to get upside down and then push themselves off the top of the pole. Right. And I'm like, look, like I totally understand what you're saying, but I mean, like, think about it. Think about any other sport. You know, if those guys get stronger glutes, stronger hamstrings, they will be able to run faster. They will be more right. powerful. Plus, they're gonna their upper back is gonna get a little bit of a workout, and you can add accessories right. to the upper yeah. back. And, and, and to, to add on that too, like, if, if weight is really a concern for maybe some of the higher level guys, like. You could program where you're not doing tons of volume, and and, and, right. Right? and so you're not you're not really focused on hypertrophy, right? So we're right. not focused on building muscle mass. We're more focused on strength, right? And there's even like little tricks you could do. I know um, Calvin told me about a uh, trainer Ryan Flaherty. I don't know if you ever heard right. of him, mm-hmm. and he has a lot of his like professionals. They'll do trap bar deadlifts and let go at the top because they won't no eccentric, the, yeah, right. no eccentric yep. because a lot of people tend to put on muscle mass th- through the eccentric. So there's little tricks like that if you're getting at that top top yep. level, mm-hmm. that last layer where you might want to try some tricks, right? Uh, and that's where a lot of weight class athletes that you work with, you know, fighters, um, wrestlers. Right, right, right. These guys, they may not want to go up in a weight class. They want to maintain, right. stay where exactly where they're at. They just want to get stronger at that weight class. Right, so right. you're not going to do a ton of volume with those guys. To, and, and again, it's going to go back to a very basic level of their nutrition, right? What the hell right. are they eating? Are you eating 6,000 calories a day? Then yeah, you, you're going to, you're probably right. you're, there's a chance you're going to put some a little bit more weight on. Right, right. But if you keep your diet clean, you keep it in check, and your your training program is appropriate, mm-hmm. then you could just really emphasize uh, strength 
and right and and, and not worry too much about that hypertrophy. Right. Like and again, it's so crazy. And I know I told you this on the phone, mm-hmm. but I mean, I even was talking to an Olympic athlete that was concerned about putting on weight, and they said in the off seasons they would just do high reps, low weight, which you know that's hypertrophy. You're going to put on mm-hmm. weight, so it's like. To me, again, I'm trying to put out content out there and information out there that will hopefully educate the pole vault community to be like, no, that's wrong. Like, if you don't want to put on weight, don't do high reps. You, you've got to go more max effort, mm-hmm. you know, and try to program less volume, like you said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You for know? sure. Um, I get, look, I mean, I, I think, like, we've talked a bunch, and this was a little bit all over the place. We talked business in the mm-hmm. beginning, and we could definitely, for sure, you know, do this again sometime. And, I would love and to get some more specific topics. Um, but I think this was a great first podcast for you, Chris. I just want to say thank you uh, for, for joining the podcast. Um, do you want to tell people like your Instagram, Facebook, anything that sure. to follow you? Well, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. This was awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you could follow me on Instagram at Chris underscore Tutela T U T E L A. You could check out uh, my blog ChrisTutela.com. Awesome. Uh, if you want to check out the site for my gym, tutelatraining.com. And on Facebook, I'm just Chris Tutela. Yeah. And guys, look. Everywhere. The, the reason I have these people on the podcast is because if you're looking uh, looking for people to reach out for information, these are great people to reach out to, you know, and th- they'll be more than happy and, and willing to help out. Um, so make sure you reach out. Um, you guys know it's at the real Apex Vaulting on Instagram, Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter. Um, and today, guys, I posted we have our Apex online training. So if you happen to live somewhere where you don't have access to coaching, um, we got you. We can help you out. We can send you. Uh, you send us your videos. We can then do it in slow mo with a voiceover, analyzing the whole jump, and then we will send you video of drill progressions that you should do for the next two weeks or more. Um, so definitely check us out. Uh, if you need to contact us, it's apexvaulting at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.